we felt like we wanted to adjust some things in our service to give you a little bit more time on your Sunday and to maximize the atmosphere and the presence of the Holy Spirit and to grab what God is saying to us. And so, first of all, the bulletin is going to be your main source of information of what's going on. And so, keep reading it. You're also going to see the screen looping um, our announcements and different things that are happening. So, pay attention to the screens before service so that you can be abreast of what's going on and read your bulletin. We're not going to have someone doing announcements anymore because we're, we're trying to, again, redeem our time, have that time where uh, it's more just progressive, like focused on the Lord, like our worship and our that atmosphere that's built by the presence of God. And, you know, normally we put up a, a, a sign that says, okay, we're doing mic time, and those who are members of the church, you know, can give a word. We want to change that. How we grew up in church was, and even how our MFI churches do it, like there is worship going on. And if you have a word, you get up and you come and stand by our mic monitor. This is going to be the same. We're going to have our mic monitor. And you just give your word to them. And I was thinking over uh, the, what the Bible says and how God speaks. Oftentimes, God speaks in one or two words. You know, sometimes we can get lost in a lot of words and we miss the nugget, the message of what God's saying. But we believe as we are worshiping and because we are praying and believing that God wants to speak to us, that the atmosphere of the Spirit is going to trigger you prophetically that you're going to say what God puts on your heart. And so when you begin to feel that, that, uh, that excitement and you feel that nervousness, come up and t- tell your message to our mic monitor, and there will just be that place in a break, and you can give your word. Then we're going to transition and do our offering time. The person who's doing the mic will also do the offering time. They're going to give a brief explanation for new members or newcomers, rather, who are coming in to fill out their card, and they're going to be able to place it in the offering basket. That will be every week. And so those of you who are used to this dead time between the mic and offering, you can come with your, if you're one of those who writes their check or gets their offering ready, have it ready so that right after the person gets up and gives the offering, that you can drop your offering right in the offering and not be distracted. Then, after that, that announcement about offering, we're going to go back and sing another worship song. We're going to continue that flow. I often liken it to we build sometimes this incredible atmosphere of the Spirit. Then we change gear into the natural. We do all these natural nou- announcements. I feel like the plane crashes. Then I have to get up, and I have to totally, how am I, I going to get this thing? We were just flowing. Sometimes I wish, like, man, right after worship, we just, boom, I could get up and say what I'm supposed to say. Now I have to rely on the Holy Spirit and you not being asleep or thinking like, okay, things have changed. Now this boring guy is going to get up and speak and you're disconnecting. We want there to be a flow in the Spirit. We want to maximize our time here together that you are tracking with what God wants to say to you. We believe that God wants to speak to you. We believe that the Holy Spirit wants to profoundly change your life and and say even a couple of words that are going to change your life and change your attitude or change what you're facing in the week. We're also believing, like that song that, that we also were going over songs that we feel like the Holy Spirit is really uh, breathing on in the body of Christ, like that, do it again. I tell you, God says he's the same yesterday, today, and forever. And we saw in the Old Testament, we saw up and down the rising and falling of the spiritual moves of God. And I tell you, we have been praying, and it's time again for a move of the Spirit. It's a time to see signs, wonders, and miracles. It's the same thing that happened at Pentecost, and the disciples and apostles did. And we've seen throughout history, church history, where God moves sovereignly, and there's people who have divine healings, and they're baptized in the Spirit, 
and there's profound works of God. And we're believing as we're praying and meeting together that God's going to do that among us again. In this last few months before the end of the year, we saw an increase of the prophetic. We've also had, had team be able to leave here and go to prophetic praying and prophesying over people and bringing encouragement to other members of the body of Christ. And we believe that same thing has been happening in our midst and is going to continue as we make adjustments. And, and so we don't want to try to say this over and over. So next week you're going to see it different. You're going to see it start to function. You're going to see that the time comes back and hopefully we'll be done in an hour and 15 minutes. But our altar time is still going to be that precious time where we want you to come and meet God. We want you to come and dump your burdens off here. We want you to get prayer for healing, for relationships, whatever it is. We want you to experience what God has for you. And so we'll end the service, and if you have to go, go and be blessed. But if you want to linger, if you want to pray, come and pray. Also, I want you to adjust yourself. Since we are trying to be respectful of your time, we want you to come on time. We want this place to be filled when we start the church service at 1030. We're going to start right on time. The worship team is just going to start start the worship. And so jump right in. And if you can, come at 930 to pre-service prayer. It's kind of like the tailgate party for church. You know, people get pumped up. They're high-fiving it. They're eating. Come and begin to feast. Begin to throw off the things that have gone on in the week. You have one hour with us. You want to maximize that tailgate time with Jesus, that you are pumped up spiritually. So when you come into the worship service, you're already, you're already flying. You've dumped off your, your, you know, your confessing things that have done wrong, attitudes, sins, whatever, and you're ready. You're ready at the worship service part. You're ready to jump in. Then, wow, what happens? All of a sudden, God starts moving on you. What? I have a prophetic word. I don't want to go up there. And you stumbling, you tr- with fear and trembling, you go forward and you give a word. And then you go away feeling blessed because God used you. In 1 Corinthians 14, read it this week. It talks about, Paul said, I would, above all things, when you come together, that you prophesy. Even if you speak in tongues, I would that all would prophesy because you who speak with a prophetic word, you speak in the language that people can hear you. And then they're edified and built up and the body is encouraged and exhorted as we simply be obedient to what the Holy Spirit's saying. We still have our mic monitor. Also in 1 Corinthians 14, it says, have those who pastor the word, pastor with the prophetic presence. And there's that spirit on us who are leading in this church because we pray and we we try to be sensitive to what God's saying. So if you come up and maybe they don't let you speak, don't get offended. The enemy, God, it's all test to see if you're going to keep being obedient. If you get up and you're obedient and they don't let you speak your word, just be confident. I did what God wanted me to do, but they didn't give me the opportunity trust that there's just this flow we're trying to keep going where God is speaking to us profound things and we're, we're hearing the words. We're going to open up like uh, we, we want you to dialogue. If you have a testimony, if you have something you're thankful, we want to hear. We want it to be sent to the office. We want to get to the place where maybe even on Thrive Nights we'll have somebody give, give a powerful testimony. What God's doing, we want to hear that. But we want to maximize the prophetic atmosphere on Sunday morning. Okay, it's working. (laughs) All right, let's pray over our offering. Heavenly Father, we thank you, Lord. Lord, you spoke to us. You said that 
like a river in flood stage was going to flow through this church and changes were going to come about. Lord, these changes are starting. We pray that we can be sensitive to them. We can embrace them. And you, I know you are going to bless us through these changes, through this new worship time. Lord, I just thank you. I ask now that you would accept our offering. Use it for your kingdom. In Jesus' name, amen. I want to continue this morning on the blessed life. This is our second week. And our key verse today is first is James 1.12. And under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, James writes us this nugget. Blessed is the one who perseveres under trial, because having stood the test, that person will receive the crown of life that the Lord has promised to those who love him. And uh, I just want us, again, since uh, all of us are going through trials and tribulations and difficulties, why don't we just... Uh, have a new mindset start today that we are going to have difficulties. Uh, We're going to have trials and tests. How many times at work are you tested about something or you have to go through something and, you know, we don't like it? But what if we get an attitude, we are going to be going through trials and it's going to be thing we're going to accept. If we get that mindset, we're going to realize that God is with us and the power to overcome, the power to persevere, the power to get something out of that trial is going to benefit us. And so if we change our mindset, we're going to receive the benefits. And so we know that God is allowing us to be tried in our faith because he's stretching and developing the faith that he's given to us. Everyone's been given that measure of faith. Everyone has the same measure of faith. But how we allow God to stretch it and how we learn to operate in that faith and how we have that faith tested and tried is how we develop into those strong men and women as Christians. I got this this week from a TV show. Trials are the precursor to greater triumphs. Boy, if we would remember that in the middle of our trial and test, that this is going to give a breakaway to a greater triumph in my life. I'm going to see something greater when I get through this trial. I want to talk a little bit about the, atti- the attitudes of the blessed life. It's interesting, Jesus starts off his ministry on the Sermon of the Mount. Even though we have trials, the Lord came into the world to bless us. We have to keep remembering that when we are struggling in trials and we're all wondering why our our trials are prolonged and why things aren't changing as fast as we think they should because God is with us and he has promised us different things. But 
we have to keep, again, that attitude that God has come to bless us. He sent Jesus to bring all kinds of blessings to us. And so, again, that helps us to change our attitude. So Jesus is teaching on the blessed life in Matthew 2 through 11. He starts off in verse 2 saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Poor in spirit, meaning the humble, who rate themselves insignificant, not false humility, not trying to appease or please God or someone else by, by putting on a facade and acting super humble, but a humility that's from the heart. And oftentimes, our, our humility comes through brokenness, through rejection, through abandonment, through harsh things, through being victimized, all these things that are negative in the world. But in those things, God wants those things to do something good in us. Sometimes we resist the brokenness and we keep a hardness or we keep a bitterness or we keep a pride because we don't want to say this thing broke us. But when we allow life's trials to break us and we become poor in spirit, there's an opportunity for the love of God, the spirit of God and the grace of God to lift us up and to restore us. And so blessedness has, a, has takes on a benefit and a, and a blessing and it's something that's good. The next one in verse 4, Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are those who mourn with a happiness produced by the experience of God's favor, especially conditioned by a revelation of his matchless grace. Those who grieve can find a release from grief. If we deny loss, we deny God's comfort in our lives. Next one is, blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are the meek, happy, blissome, joyous, spiritually prosperous, with life, joy, and satisfaction in God's favor and salvation, regardless of their outward conditions. Again, um, our conditions shouldn't be affect the way we are allowed to, to stay humble before God, and even humble before maybe our persecutors sometimes, or those who are in opposition to us, keeping our attitude of humility and meekness and honesty of our heart keeps us in the flow of the grace and power of God in our lives. The definition of meekness is to be humble, patient, and submissive. It's interesting that word patient is part of uh, what we're going through when we are going through our trials, that God is doing something to strengthen us in our character and to strengthen us spiritually and to cause us to overcome the effects on our emotions because of what we're going through. In verse 6, Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. I don't know about you, but I have a lot of hunger for a lot of things. And sometimes having this hunger and thirst for righteousness is something we, we don't really go after. But it really it, it draws us into this place of really pursuing God and hungering, thirsting for that which really can satisfy us. Because it says if we hunger and thirst for him, and Jesus is the righteousness, we get this infilling in our spirit that far surpasses those things that we strive to get that don't really satisfy for very long. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Again, it kind of goes against our, our five senses and our emotions and the whispers of the enemy that, that doesn't want us to give in to God or follow or seek him. Verse 7, blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. 
you know, sometimes it's hard for us to be merciful. We go through different things in our life that challenge us. We go through relationships sometimes that hurt us or situations that hurt us or people at work or our boss. And so to show mercy, it's very hard. We're challenged because our emotions stand up against our injustices, the selfish nature that we have that happened to all of us from Adam and Eve. When they sinned, they sent us away from God. And so our soul life took its ascension and we are so self-conscious. Being separated from God makes us so self-conscious. If I don't watch out for myself, who's going to watch out for me? So I don't want to be merciful. I'm always giving in. You know, sometimes maybe we're giving in to other people when we get home. We're not very merciful. But God is asking us to keep extending that mercy over the people around us. Keep practicing the love of God. Keep practicing being merciful. Because then it says we are shown mercy. We get mercy back. Blessed are the merciful regardless of their outward conditions. Only when we receive God's mercy can we show that same, same mercy back to others. It's almost like we're sowing it and then we reap it back as part of our life. Blessed are the pure in heart for they will see God. Okay, we all start off the same place. Born in sin, our heart is far from God and far from being pure. Through being born again in spirit, we have the ability to have a pure heart. And Jesus says that I come to give you a new heart. I, give you, I come to give you a heart of flesh, a heart that's vulnerable, a heart that can be worked with, a heart that can have uh, anger and hurt done away and taken out of so that his love can fill that place. And we can respond from a whole different place, but it's from our heart, a heart that's pure because of Jesus Christ. Also, by o- obedience to God's word, by being obedient to the Holy Spirit and tracking and walking with him, we nurture a pure heart. We nurture that place where God can reign and God can bless us and we can experience and realize that we are blessed. And then that last part of the verse, blessed are the pure in heart for they will see God. Think of it. When are, when are you feeling like you see, see God the most or when do you feel like you're connected with God so much, isn't it? When you're at simplicity before God, you're broken, you're humble. There's no sin unconfessed. You've been just in such a place, and then you start seeing God. You see him in the things that he's doing. You see him in faith about the future. You, you hear his voice in the tenderness of the heart because he's speaking to you, and he's encouraging you, and he's lifting you up, and he's lifting you above trials and tribulations. And he's causing you to recognize that the goodness of God is around you, and it's in you. And then no matter what you're facing, you have this faith to rise above that circumstance because God is with you and you can recognize him. The pure in heart will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers in verse 9, for they will be called the children of God. It says that Jesus, in uh, Colossians 1.20, Jesus made peace through the blood of his cross. He made peace for us. Are you constantly attacked about something in your life? Are you bombarded by guilt, by things of the past, things that you've done, or people maybe accusing you of things that you've confessed, you've asked for forgiveness for. God is the one that gives us peace. He's the peacemaker because his blood was shed for your sins and your wrongdoings. It's so important to make amends with people. It's so important to get things right. But our peace comes from God in that relationship we have with him. If we, we keep walking in the peace of God, walking in the openness of heart and receiving God's grace and peace, we're able to give it out to people a little bit quicker. The gospel message, although making peace between sinners and God, 
also initiates hostility as people are challenged with their own rebellious sin nature. You know, there's that peace that comes. But if we don't accept it, that same peace brings a challenge with the truth. And we have to deal with that hostility sometimes in our, in our rebellious nature. We're able to see that part of us that needs to submit and humble and come under that place of, of God where we'll have his peace. We know that through the New Testament, the apostles were persecuted for just simply giving the good news about Jesus Christ and the forgiveness of sins. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of God. You know, you are going to be persecuted. Bruce prophesied a, a couple of months ago that we are going to experience persecution, and we see it kind of edging up on the Christian community. But that's all the more reason why we need to keep banding together, seeking God together, praying for one another, supporting each other, worshiping God, walking in obedience so that we can rise up and stand against the darkness that is rising because we're moving towards the end. So there will be persecution. Everyone who is around you may not like your faith or the things that you believe in. When you try to share, maybe you're going to be smirked at or made ridiculed or made fun of. It's part of what goes along with being a Christian. But give opportunity to share the gospel whenever you can with someone that they might be able to respond to the truth. Sometimes they'll respond just simply you, you left them with a seed and later on the Holy Spirit will take that seed and they'll respond on their own. In verse 11, Blessed are you when, you when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad because great is your reward in heaven. For in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. These words of Jesus are countercultural, and yet they are the gospel message we are to take into the world. Blessedness out of patient experience. Blessedness of being thankful, having gone through the trial. Have you ever gone through a something, a difficult season, a, a difficult trial, and then when you came out of it, you just felt that lightness? You just felt that, wow, I'm done with this. That's that blessedness out of the patient experience that you gained going through that trial. It's always nice after it's over to feel that happiness and to feel like, wow, I got through this. But it sure is hard being in the midst of a trial when it's not lifting. Blessings, the blessings of being weak and being dependent on him. Again, there's that war that goes on of us trying to expand and be everything we can be, and yet those defining moments where we're at our peak and yet it's not enough. And in those places and in those times and in those seasons and whatever triggers those things where we experience the brokenness, we also experience the benefits of God's strength supplying where we've been weak. And it's almost like we get this whole other experience. Yeah, I was confident. Yes, I was able to do this. Yes, I was able to do that. But in that moment of weakness when I could not do it, having God, because I'm leaning on him in my weakness, have him rise up and to see his power and presence, what a blessing that is for all of us. In 2 Corinthians 12, uh, the first part of that verse, verse, verse 9, the Lord said to Paul, My grace is sufficient for you, for my strength is made perfect in weakness. I'm sure before God spoke that to him, he wasn't too happy about the weakness he was struggling through. But when the Holy Spirit speaks to you, it brings you that strength that you need to know that 
God has this, and I don't have to rely on my own strength. What about the blessedness of, of fearlessness after a trial? Ever face a fear, and you're in trembling, and you're not wanting to be in that place, but you have this fear, and yet you persevere, you go through it, and you get past it, and then the fear is gone. Some of you have heard this before, but in my last year of high school, just dealing with gangs and drugs in our neighborhood, uh, just, you know, almost getting rat pack twice, what it did for me of being afraid and how it caused me to seek the Lord and looking to his word about how he would be my protector. And then even uh, having people in my neighborhood see me go through this group of guys one day and they thought I was going to get rat pack and it was like God preserved me. After that, I had such a, a peace. I felt like I could go anywhere. I was never afraid to go anywhere by myself because I had gone through a year of dealing with fear and apprehension and seeing with my eyes the opposition that was around me, seeing my friends get rat packed. I mean, there was a fear where the enemy would tell me they are going to get you, and I'd have to fight that fear. And then to be able to realize I got through something and then having that fear not be any longer there, that is something. If you guys have a fear, believe that God's going to break that off of you. And going through that trial and that test, you are going to be so free that you're going to know that blessedness of being free from that fear. The blessedness of familiarity with God after affliction. That's a, that's a powerful experience, too. In Genesis 41, 52, And the name of Joseph's second son he called Ephraim, for God had caused me to be fruitful in the land of my affliction. We know the story. He went through 13 years of being imprisoned and being rejected by his family and uh, having a prophetic word fall to the ground. But in that place where he was now fruitful and he had his second son, that he could see that God had made him fruitful that he had come into this blessedness following, following an affliction or being afflicted. In Exodus 4, 3, Moses and Aaron went to Egypt. And Aaron tells the elders all, all the Lord was going to do and gave signs. So the people believed. And when they heard that the Lord had visited the children of Israel and that he had looked on their affliction, then they bowed their heads and worshipped. They were so affected that God had begun to speak. And he came through Moses and Aaron and they saw hope of coming out of bondage, that they were so affected that God really cares, and they had that relief. What about Daniel? What he said in uh, chapter 3, 23 through 25. And these three men, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, fell down bound in the midst of the fiery furnace. And King Nebuchadnezzar was astonished, and he rose in haste and spoke, saying to his counselors, Did not we cast three men bound into the midst of the fire? And they answered, Yes, O king, true, O king. Look, he answered, I see four men loose walking in the midst of the fire, and they are not hurt. And the form of the fourth is like the Son of God. I mean, there's never any commentary about that. We never hear what Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego say about that. But can you imagine them being in the midst of the fire, but looking and seeing the Son of God next to them, talking about being in affliction and seeing God? What a powerful thing when we go through something to see God and to have a new experience that we have overcome and we have triumphed. 
In 2 Corinthians 8, 2, Paul talks about the church at Corinth. That in a great trial of affliction, the abundance of their joy and their deep poverty abounded in the riches of their liberality. That even though they were in poverty themselves, they gathered from their meager funds some money to give to another church. Matthew Henry says this about, the, about that church. The church in Corinth gave out of little, trusting in God to provide for them and make it up to them. The blessedness of growth in the grace of God through trial. He who is being tested, Spurgeon said, is supported the, uh, the ordeal and comes out of the trial approved is a blessed man. He who is being tested is supported the ordeal and comes out of the trial approved is the blessed man. Paul said this in 1 Corinthians 15.10. It's something our son threw at him, at us, when he was doing things, and then we were trying to change him. He said, But by the grace of God I am what I am, and his grace toward me was not in vain. But I labored more abundantly than they all, yet not I, but the grace of God which is in me. The grace of God is on you through Jesus Christ. It doesn't matter what your circumstance is. It doesn't matter what the test or trial. The grace of God is on you. And that grace is enough to carry you, to lift you up, and to encourage you. That grace is the very power of God. It's the ability of God in you. It's more than just this little feeling. It's the power of God that will motivate you, that will change you, that will lift you up, that will encourage you, that will assure you that God is going to accomplish His will in your life. And that grace is a powerful thing. It is God's grace that takes us into and back out of the trials in our life. Let's shift gears a little bit. I want to I want us to focus again on prayer. We're focusing on prayer this year, and, um, and we're going to have communion in a few minutes. I want communion to transfer and transition into some altar time. We've got lots of time, guys. Even if we're trying to be done by 15 through today to give you an extra 15 minutes, we've got 27, 22 minutes. So let these scriptures kind of get you in this mindset for what we want to focus on prayer today. And it's about Jesus. What an example of Jesus, our brother, who came from the Father, and he, he was introducing us to go back to the Father. And after Jesus had fed the multitudes of people, he did this. And when he had sent the multitudes away, he went up on the mountain by himself to pray. Now evening came, he was there alone. Going up to the mountain took effort. Every Sunday we open up the altars. You know, going to the altar is equally as hard as going up to the mountain to meet God as Jesus did. Because when we come to the altar, the mountain that stands against us is our pride, our shame, what will people think? And so I would encourage you to make a trip to the altar. Make a trip to the mountain and connect with God. In that place where it's just you and him, just like Jesus and the Father got accustomed to do. Jesus, the man, the human, the one who faced everything to identify with us, needed to pray. In Hebrews 5, 7 and 8 are the Amplified. It says, in the days of his flesh, Jesus offered up definite special petitions for that which he not only wanted, but needed. Are you intense 
with what you need? And are you just as intense with what you want? It says Jesus was like that. Not only what he wanted, but also what he needed. And supplications with strong crying and tears to him who was always able to save him out from death. Have you allowed yourself to move to the place where you're actually so connecting with the Father that you're pouring out tears and strong crying? That you're getting to the very depths of what you want. You're not just kind of glassing over, just kind of throwing out a, a light little prayer, but from the deepest place in your heart, in your soul, you're crying out because you have a desperate need to connect with God. God hears those kind of prayers. And he, Jesus, was heard because of his reverence toward God, his godly fear, his piety, in that he shrank from the horrors of separation from the bright presence of the Father. It was a horrible thing for Jesus to know that he was going to be separated from the Father when he took upon all of our sins. It was a horror for Jesus to be separated from the Father. For us, why is it the opposite? Sometimes it's a horror for us to think of coming to God. It's a horror for us to think of going to the altar and meeting God. It's just because we're still in this process and we're in a fallen world and we don't see the spiritual things as they really are around us right now. Verse 8 says, Although he, Jesus, was a son, he learned active, special obedience through what he suffered. Through his own trials, he experienced the blessedness of bringing salvation and God's love to us, but also being able to return to heaven to be with his Father. And here's a verse also. Jesus' prayer in the garden, Matthew 26, 36-39. Then Jesus came with them to a place called Gethsemane and said to the disciples, Sit here while I go and pray over there. And he took with him Peter and the two sons of Zebedee. And they began to be sorrowful and deeply distressed. Notice what happens. To get to the deepest place where he could cry out to the Father, to the, from the deepest place of his heart and soul, he had to kind of go there. He had to allow himself to work out what's really important, what's really going on right now in my life. And he allowed himself to get to that place where he could be totally broken before God, totally honest, totally in need, totally presenting what he wanted, but also then countering and, and settling on whatever God would choose to do. Then he said to them, My soul is exceedingly sorrowful even to death. Stay here and watch with me. He went a little farther and fell on his face and prayed, saying, Oh, my father, if it is possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as you and your will be done. One of the key secrets of prayer with father is not my will, but yours be done. It's getting so honest with God that what you want, but also allowing yourself to so align with God's will and where you're at that he is going to work his best out of whatever doesn't change in your life. And our key verse for today for how we are going to pray is Matthew 6, 6. Jesus said, But you, when you pray, go into your room, and when you have shut the door, pray to your Father who is in secret, and your Father who is in secret will reward you openly. 
In other words, he's saying close off the distractions. But he's also saying when you come to pray, do like he did. He separated himself from the disciples. He even separated himself from his friends. And then he went to that place and went totally transparent, totally open and vulnerable to what was really there. And he connected with the Father. So we're going to shift right now. I want you to stand. Jay? We're not going to pass the elements today. 